I had been told my whole life, well, you can do anything because diabetics, you know, you're not being held back and you can do everything else that everybody else does. But I wasn't allowing myself to. I was like using my diabetes as this excuse to where, yeah, I'm entitled to believe that I think I can do whatever I want, but am I physically capable of doing everything I want? I couldn't play a basketball game for an hour because I wasn't taking care of myself. So I had this like almost a victim mentality with it to where, oh, well, society should bend around me and my needs rather than me rising up and being like, you know what? I have to be better than the average person because of this diabetes. And that's when I really started viewing diabetes as this awesome thing that gave me so much control. And it's like, yes, I'm going to work my ass off to do better than you and I have diabetes. Welcome to the More Than Just a Type podcast, a place where we explore what it takes to live your best life. I'm your host, Taja Cato, expert in type 1 diabetes and fat loss, entrepreneur, and lover of all things fitness and personal development. Each week, we'll bring you a tangible tool, tip, or insight that'll inspire you and empower you to take action, achieve your goals, and live your best life. It was this time roughly back in 2014. So what is that? Five or six years ago, I went home to Canada. It was for Thanksgiving and I went to visit my dad. My dad is Ukrainian and Norwegian. So every single year, we always do like a big dinner for Thanksgiving or whatever the holiday is that I can get there. We'll do a big pierogi feast where we'll have pierogies and kubasa, which is like sausage. And it's very... It's a very rich meal. I don't know if you've had pierogies before. If you've eaten the store-bought ones, the pre-frozen ones, it doesn't even compare to like homemade ones because we make them from scratch. It's, I almost feel like every culture has something like pierogies because there's like empanadas and <laughs> just some sort of doughy deliciousness. But I had previously been on this juice cleanse kick this is in 2014. I went like eight months juicing vegetables and eating very little food to the point that my hair started to break off. And I'm sure I've told this story before, but I was very deficient in nutrients and I'd lost a lot of weight. But I remember this specifically because I hadn't really eaten a proper meal for a long time. And I went home, I just chowed down on pierogies. And that night I was throwing up all night because my body just was not used to it. And that kind of spiraled me forward into the rest of that winter gaining over 20 pounds and just feeling like complete crap about myself because I had gone from just losing all this weight and feeling really good in the sense that like I thought I looked good, but I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't healthy and I was just craving to be able to eat. A proper meal. Like I, I just didn't understand why I'd gained all this weight and then I wasn't able to lose it. And so this time is what kind of kickstarted my 
fitness journey into actually losing weight in a sustainable way that ensured that I not only lost the weight, but I kept it off and it became a lifestyle that I could actually eat whatever I wanted and be able to achieve and maintain my fitness goals and just feel like the best version of my stuff of myself and keep my blood sugar stable in the process and so that's what blossomed my fitness programs and my one-on-one coaching and me just helping other people with diabetes achieve their own fitness goals so if you right now I know like a long long long-winded story but if you right now are just listening to this and you're like oh I feel like I've been spiraling out of control and I'm tired of dieting or I'm just tired of trying to achieve my goals and feeling like I'm putting in all this work and then not seeing any results from it. If you are feeling that way, my friend, then I encourage you to check out my Shredded Body for Type 1s program because inside of this program, I teach you step-by-step everything that helped me achieve my goals in a sustainable way. And it's very straightforward. You will learn all of the tips and trips tricks, not trips, (laughs) like how to set your macros and calories for fat loss, how much protein, fat, and carbs your body needs individually, how to properly and accurately track your body weight. Yes, there is a system. You'll learn every single thing that I even do to this day. Like when I'm achieving my own fitness goals and when I'm working with people one-on-one, these are the steps that I use. The program is very affordable and you do receive 10% off as a loyal listener of this podcast using the code more than just a type. So if you want to learn more, just head over to diabeticfitnessworld.com forward slash join and I will also link to this in the show notes. My guest today is just such an inspiration, and I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to connect with him and to hear his story, and I think that you're really, really going to love it. My guest today, his name is Wesley Evans, and he has worked in law enforcement for about 10 years in different positions, and he worked in Pittsburgh as a juvenile probation officer for five years in numerous roles, including working with high-risk gang members, the Bloods, the Crips, the OGs, and he also worked with high-risk juvenile sex offenders, and he was a self-defense instructor and a member of the Warrant Task Force, serving the most dangerous arrest warrants in the city in 2016 and he started working for the feds. He's currently a United States probation officer where he's worked that job in Pittsburgh for two years, then transferred to the middle district of Florida where he is currently. And for the feds, he is a firearms instructor and self-defense instructor. And he also has type one diabetes. Not only does Wes show other people living with type 1 diabetes that they can get into a high level of law enforcement with strict control and discipline, but he also shows that with strict control and discipline, you can basically do anything. There are no limitations, and he is proof of that. He is such an inspiration and really shines a bright light, and I'm just so excited to share this episode with you today. When we recorded it, I was still in Costa Rica. I was planning to fly back to California, where I am now, so right when we recorded it, I was like, oh, I just want to 
release this episode immediately, but of course I had to edit it and all of that jazz. So it is now ready for your ears and I hope that you do enjoy it. And if you find this episode inspiring in some way today, please do take a second to subscribe to this podcast because that way you won't miss out on upcoming episodes and bonus content. And when you take the time to rate and review this podcast, it really does help expand the reach of this podcast and it makes it possible for other people to find this show and benefit from hearing this content as well. All you have to do is scroll down on whichever app you're listening to this podcast on and tap the stars to rate the podcast. And if you feel called to do so, please do take a second to leave a quick review. I appreciate you so much. Let's dive in and I will see you on the other side of this episode. Yeah. So, okay, wait. So you live on a farm? Is that what you said? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... Uh, you, you mean you've never heard of Ocala, Florida? No, never. <laughs> oh yeah. That's yeah. Most people say that I never heard of it either. So, um, my wife is actually super into horse racing. Um, okay. she's a barrel racer. And yeah. so we have a horse Wow. and we used to live in Pennsylvania. Um, she grew up with a horse her whole life. I didn't know normal people owned horses. I yeah. thought it was like, you know, for the, <laughs> the rich and famous, but I met her. And she has a horse and where she goes, the horse goes. So, um, her horse trainer moved to Florida and we have always talked about moving to Florida because the weather up North is just like horrible a lot of the times. But, um, yeah, we found out that Ocala is actually the horse capital of the world. Um, like 80% of the Kentucky Derby horses come either are born in Ocala or train out of Ocala. And it's kind of a really cool area, but not a lot of places with, uh, internet yeah yeah when you said that when you said your internet's not great it reminded me of like what because I've been in Costa Rica since February like I got here right before the borders shut down I know yeah so then the internet here has been it's at the beginning was horrible like you might get a connection and it yeah so that but we got this box thing I don't even know what it is but it allows us to have better better internet but I can totally relate to having no internet. (laughs) God bless the box thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So does your mom live there? Yeah. She moved down here four years ago. Okay. See, I was under the assumption that you like went there for a trip by yourself and you were just like stuck there and you couldn't get back. So, okay. I'm glad you at least have. Yeah. That would have been crazy. Yeah. But yeah, luckily, because it hasn't been so bad since I have, she lives here, and it's it's actually been a really special time just to hang out. Mm-hmm. But I, I have can a, imagine. Yeah, I have a flight back next next week, actually. <laughs> and is it going to get canceled, or is it actually going to happen? I don't know. I booked with a different airline, so we'll see. Yeah. I think I have a feeling it's going to go. Yeah, and you yeah. you live in LA, correct? I do. Yeah, so I'm basically flying back to a city that's on fire. <laughs> In right. more ways than one, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> How is it in Florida? As With far everything, as... just COVID and so the Florida, world. <laughs> it is. It's, a, it's an interesting state. Yeah. So at first, it kind of seemed like, um, I mean, we were taking it seriously, but not really. Like people were kind of just doing whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, And it seemed like the rest of the country was like super strict with masks and businesses shutting down. Um, Florida was just, hey, do do your own thing. We'll figure it out. 
Um, it wasn't really until I want to say June where like everywhere was requiring you to wear masks. So like you could just walk into a Walmart or grocery store and it didn't matter. But then in like Orlando, Tampa areas like that, it was super strict. But in Ocala, there's a lot of conservative individuals in this area that are some reason anti-maskers so really (laughs) oh yeah that's so interesting i'm sure you have the people like that everywhere though even here oh yeah yeah Yeah. for sure so do you guys have like is it just horse her your wife's horse that's on the farm or do you have other animals so we have her horse and we actually rent the farm we have her horse um the two the owner she has two horses there Mm -hmm. Uh, we have my pit bull. She's okay. 12 years old. It's just like an old little fat lady yeah. walking around. <laughs> and uh, there are two cats and we have a cat too. So okay. There's animals running all over the place. And yeah. there's cows in the field next to us. It's typical farm that you would picture. Yeah, that's so cool. I grew it's... up on a farm when I was younger, like before my parents divorced. So okay. it was between and like... Cal- it was, California it was actually or? in Canada, but it was, it was, right. we rented it. It was on one side, it was like a cattle farm. Mm-hmm. And then the other side was a dairy farm. So it was like right in the middle. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Farm life is definitely different. That's for sure. It totally is. Do you think you guys will stay there? We really like it, but, um, we're kind of, we're gypsies. Yeah. Um, we, we get bored pretty easy. Uh, we like to move around, and that's that's kind of why I, wanted, I got the federal gig to begin with. Yeah. Um, I was pretty happy working for the state, but the federal option kind of gives me the um, freedom to be like, oh, if I wanted to go here, I can go here. Um, it basically what got me to Florida, but that's we really awesome. like it here. Um, I think we're here going to be here for at least another couple of years, but who knows what yeah life will bring yeah you never know right this year Mm -hmm. has kind of just proved that anything is possible yeah and i'm open to whatever so yeah yeah new experiences are good yeah so with your job because i when you sent me that email yesterday i was like oh my god there's so much that i want to ask you (laughs) like so you probably have so many (laughs) stories so you were doing you were living in pittsburgh is that where you're from yeah, I'm from okay. Pittsburgh originally. I'm actually from Johnstown. It's a small community about an hour and a half outside of Pittsburgh. But then once I graduated college, I lived in Pittsburgh. Okay. And then mm-hmm. how, how many years have you been working for law enforcement? So I started officially in law enforcement in 2011. Um, prior to that, I was a youth counselor. Um, okay. I actually just wanted to be, I wanted to get a, my master's in counseling and be a certified counselor, but, um, I was working at the Salvation Army in Uh the north side of Pittsburgh, which at the time was the most dangerous area in Pittsburgh, like notorious crip area, G's all over the place. And I was working with these kids and, um, I grew up in white suburbia. So I was like terrified of middle school kids. Yeah. So I'm like trying to help these kids and I didn't know anything about them. And, uh, once I got to know them a lot more, um, I just kind of fell in love with them and it led me in a direction towards, um, juvenile probation. Cause I liked working with kind of the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of fell into law enforcement, didn't necessarily want to do it from the beginning, but, um, yeah, I really, I really enjoy it for yeah. sure. 
That's so cool. Do you think just from like looking back on that time, are a lot of those kids, is it just how they were raised? Like, is it their upbringing? Do you think most? Oh my gosh. Um, there's a lot that goes into it for sure. Um, now when the kids that I worked with, especially when I started with probation, um, they were the highest risk, um, population that you work with. So the success rate was very, very low. Mm Um, and you, you figure I was born, I'm a pastor's kid. Um, my mom is a social worker. Uh, look what I do. I help people. Um, the kids that I worked with, like their dads were drug dealers if they were around, um, their moms, most of them didn't work. Um, a lot of them were on drugs. So what do they do? Um, kind of what their parents do. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it was sad because a lot of them, you just feel like they don't have a chance and you do the best that you can with them. But um, yeah, unfortunately, the success rate was really low. That's so, and I'm sure you just wanted to help all of them. Like, because you, oh you, like yeah. you can see a better way from like your upbringing and it's like they probably have no, they can't even fathom that, right? Why? It's so funny that you bring that up because uh, when I worked at the Salvation Army, um, these kids I was seeing at the Salvation Army, they weren't the, like the highest risk ones, but they, a lot of them had never been out of their community. Like they've been in Pittsburgh, they've never seen like a lake or woods or anything like that. So where I was living at the time, um, I just, I was living about 45 minutes outside of Pittsburgh and I had all woods in my backyard, trails all over the place. I was like, you know what, let's have like a youth night. We'll have a camp out. So I brought these kids and mind you, most dangerous section in Pittsburgh, I bring them here and they are freaking terrified of the woods behind my house. They think a bear is going to come out and eat them. They think the deer is going to attack them. And I'm just laughing my ass off because I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You're from like Northview Heights and you're afraid of this. And um, that morning I drove them all back and um, the gated project that we had to go into uh, there were cop cars flying in and I was like, Oh man, maybe I shouldn't, you know, drive the van in here right now. And the kid was like, Oh, it's probably just a shooting. It's not a big deal. And I dropped him off. He was the last kid. I dropped him off and I like cried the whole way home. Cause yeah. <laughs> I was like, I cannot believe that this kid, like he's living in such a terrible circumstance like that. Yeah. And it just, it's like his normal. Yeah. That's so nuts. Yeah. yeah you're growing up in just constant fear. Yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine. No, no, definitely not. So, and then what made you decide to like move out of that part of your job, like your career? So I was doing the highest gang members for a mm-hmm. while. And then there was an opportunity to work with uh, juvenile sex offenders. And it was considered a promotion because you're a specialist at that point. Um, and then the office that it was in, there were a lot of really cool people there that I wanted to work with. And, uh, there were two guys, their main job was just serving warrants, uh, making Willig were their names. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of nice to be next to them cause they were just cracking jokes all day. And, um, so that was one of the reasons. Um, and then I was on the, uh, warrant task force as well. So it was nice working next to those guys cause they would take me out on like other special stuff too, where, you know, if there was a big event in Pittsburgh, like light up night for Christmas or something. I was one of the undercover guys walking around making sure everything stayed cool. So um, I got to do a lot of extra stuff with yeah, that. That's so, cool. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
how have things changed since like I feel well where I am in the world I feel like it's I've been isolated so much whereas like every time I look at the news it's like the states is just something's happening right but you guys must be kind of under more pressure or so hmm I kind of figured we were going to talk about yeah. this a little bit because I know that you're isolated there and you don't really know what's actually happening. Yeah. So uh, I think for me, because I have worked in such dangerous areas where law enforcement has never really been liked, mm-hmm. um, nothing's really changed. Okay. Um, as a probation officer, you're in a unique position where you actually work with these individuals and you formulate relationships with them. Mm -hmm. So if you have a good relationship with them, then they're gonna look at you with respect, even if the rest of the community doesn't. So there's been circumstances where um, I was on Charles Street, notorious Crip area, and um, I'd go in and I'd talk to the guy and I walked out one time and my car was surrounded. And um, the guy was like, shouting out his door, that's my PO man, get the F away from his car. And then he walked me out, so it's like, it's almost like they were protecting me because yeah. I got I know them. But say I was just, you know, trying to flaunt my badge or be one of those tool bags that mm-hmm. just walks around like a tough guy, um, that would definitely not be looked at in a positive light. But as far as like people like if I'm stopping at gas and they notice my badge, like I get looked at bad or something like that. But then you have a lot of people that are like, hey, thank you for your service. Uh, your coffee's on us. Um, just yeah. things like that. So. Um, I know the media is really up playing it a lot um, because it's a really hot issue right now. But for me, it just seems like everything is everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think like do you think there'll be more funding after all of this putting put into law enforcement? Oh, that would man. be the hope, More right? Funding. See, everybody's asking for less funding. I know, um, but at least that's all you hear. Um, I'm really hoping uh, that they do put more funding into it. Um, I train officers mm-hmm. in firearms and self defense here um, on the federal end of things. And what I see a lot of times is that firearms training is pretty much the end all be all, and there's not as much training on the um, martial arts side of things, if you want to put it that way, or self-defense. I'm more of a, the more able you are to handle yourself um, physically without using a firearm, the less likely you are to use that firearm. Mm -hmm. So it's my opinion. um, I think officers should be training uh, jujitsu or some kind of self-defense or MMA um, at least twice a week. And that's maybe on their own time, but then there needs to be more money pumped into training officers and different scenario-based situations, cultural awareness. Um, I I think they should be training at least one day a week. Yeah. Um, Where now we're we're lucky, especially with COVID, um, we're lucky if we're training um, four times a year in firearms and self-defense. So that's crazy. Because yeah, that would make total sense if everyone was. Because it's probably such a, like, mental thing, too, right? Because you guys are put into such, like, crazy situations that you have to have that, like, mental stability just as much as the physical. Oh, for sure. Um, And you don't really know how you're going to 
react in a situation unless you practice it over and over and over and over. So we'll do, we'll put together scenario trainings um, mm -hmm. where, I mean, the officers, you're going into this training, you're knowing, knowing nothing bad is going to happen to you. Um, but they freak out and they'll, you know, you'll just be standing there with a cooking knife and you'll be, you know, just cutting up some steak and they'll be like, Hey, drop the knife. And you're like, dude, I'm just cooking. And next thing you know, they're lighting you up with some fake bullets oh my and God. you're like, okay, let's talk, let's talk about why this was bad. Yeah. Um, but there needs to be, so that being said, and that's worst case training yeah. situation. Most of them do great, but, um, you don't really know how it's going to be unless you practice, 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 practice. And yeah. a lot of law enforcement agencies just don't get that. Yeah. So there needs to be more funding for sure. Heck yeah. Yeah. So, I would, I would agree with you completely. Yeah. 100%. So you do jujitsu and you do. I do Krav Maga. Okay. Um, do you know what that is? I know what it is. Um, when I used to work in uh, post-production, the girl I worked with, her husband, was a Krav Maga trainer. So I know about oh, it, nice. but I've never done it. Yeah, so it's an Israeli fighting style. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much what their troops are trained in and all their law enforcement officers. And um, it incorporates everything. It's basically like dirty MMA. Um, okay. So you're going to get uh, Muay Thai. You're going to get your jiu-jitsu, uh, whether it's Brazilian, Japanese, whatever type of jiu-jitsu it is. Um, you're going to get boxing, a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, plus some, so That's awesome. it's a lot of, uh, like weapon disarms and, uh, knife disarms and a lot of things that other traditional martial arts don't do. Okay. So yeah, that would be, do all, um, I guess, does it, the police or the law enforcement per state, does it, do they have different requirements in terms of training techniques? Like, yeah, does everyone... I, I can't say I am an expert at knowing what other agencies do. Um, I know for probation for United States probation, it varies from district to district. Um, ours, I believe it's only, uh, one self-defense session a year and, uh, two wow. firearms plus a qualification. So it's not as much, but that being said, we're not first responders. Mm -hmm. Um, we're just working with the dangerous individuals, but usually we have that rapport with them. But still, there, I feel like there should be a lot more training on my end. And then I've talked to some state troopers, and they're barely training. Wow. Um, I mean, it's just – and it, when it is training, it's all firearms. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the, the recent one in Atlanta mm -hmm. where the guy was shot in the back after discharging a, the officer's taser at him. Did you watch that video? I didn't watch that one. And I didn't even watch – I haven't watched any of them, to be honest. Okay, I just heard yeah. about them, and so, I was like – I don't like, I don't want to watch, but I get it. <laughs> yeah. I, there's just certain situations where they were wrestling with long story short, they were wrestling with a guy. And if I'm, you know, shoulder to shoulder away from somebody, I'm not going to pull out a taser to introduce a weapon into a fight. Yeah. I'm going to try to use my hands. Um, what he did is it's almost like that officer introduced a weapon that somebody could grab very easily. And then it just kind of escalated, escalated, escalated. So, um, if the officer was trained appropriately and he was comfortable with his hands and say he was training in jujitsu all the time, that might've just been de-escalated, uh, yeah. immediately rather than it raising to the level of lethal force. Yeah. It's, and it's probably cause you have so much training, like seeing certain situations like that. It's like, Ugh. you can probably see exactly where 
they just need to tweak something so it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. For yeah. sure. That's crazy. Um, and then you were, you wanted to be in the Marines, right? At the beginning of all this? I was, did. Was this yeah, before so. um, you were working at the, uh, in Pittsburgh at Salvation? Well, I, I wanted to be a Marine since I, I popped out. Okay. I mean, I, I wanted to be in the military my whole life. Like my pap was in the Navy in World War II. And I wanted to be a Marine because I thought they were the like most badass ones to be. But then... Um, I got diagnosed with type one diabetes at age nine and, um, they're like, Oh, you know, the doctors and everybody's like, you can do pretty much do everything except join the military. And I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and I'm sure so many people can relate to that. Like, so what I'm did sure. you do? Were you like completely crushed? Um, I remember when the recruiters were at the high school, um, I, f I felt so uncomfortable just walking by them because I knew like I wanted to serve my country and I thought that was the best way that I could do that. So they would, you know, they're trying to recruit people and bring them in. And I would just sometimes look at them and be like, do you guys take diabetics? Cause I can just end this conversation right away. So I don't even have to deal with it because I knew it would just upset me. Yeah. And you know, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, I would really just love to do it, but there's no way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then after, so then were you just doing other jobs and then you, the, the law enforcement kind of fell into your lap? Like, so I went to college. Okay. Um, I went to Geneva college, uh, for a four year degree in human services. And, uh, while I was there, um, I actually did an internship in probation, but I mm -hmm. still wanted to just be a, um, a counselor. And it was kind of like, it wasn't forced on me per se, but I thought like I needed a job with good benefits yeah. and I knew I wanted to help people. So I was like, well, I want to stay alive so I can have insulin. Yeah. So I'm going to get this degree so I can get a job that has benefits and healthcare. Um, and I kind of limited to myself to that. Um, so yeah, I, I just didn't have the, uh, the wherewithal to until later to, really be able to put that all together that I was actually limiting myself with my diabetes and not even knowing it. Yeah. That's crazy. Cause I, you were diagnosed when you were nine. I was diagnosed when I was nine. Okay. So. All right. So yeah, very similar. <laughs> yeah. It's a, so. I guess it's not easy at any age, but did you find no. nine years old being challenging? I actually, there was a diabetic girl in my class. I didn't even know she had diabetes. Um, there was a class of like 25 of us. So the odds are pretty rare yeah. that you would have that. So um, I had that right away. Um, I was always a pretty positive kid. And I just remember being in the children's hospital in Pittsburgh and I was just happy to play Super Nintendo for a week. Like yeah. the IVs and stuff didn't really bother <laughs> me. I was just like, oh, I get to play video games and have a good time. So um, I it didn't really affect me too yeah. much. I mean, every once in a while you had like some mean kids that would like shove cupcakes in your face and, um, do like random stuff like that. But it, otherwise it was, it was pretty good. Yeah. What Did, about you? I, I, it was challenging. I think mostly because I, like I grew up on a farm, I was homeschooled. So my upbringing was very just, it was different, I guess. Like, so I didn't even go to a doctor and like we did, my parents did homeopathic. We ate like from the garden. It was just very, 
rural living. So when I got diagnosed, I had never been in a hospital before or seen a doctor for anything. So it was kind of like a shock for me. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure your family was like super healthy. Oh yeah. Very healthy. Yeah. 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 That's the thing too. Like when people are like, oh, well you must've been eating so bad and doing this. It's like, no, I was playing soccer and I was active and, you know, healthy. And then all of a sudden I wasn't. Yeah. Do you, did you, the doctors say why they thought that you might've been diagnosed? They weren't really sure. Um, I have a general idea. Uh, we moved, I grew up on a farm, like farm area till I was about eight. And then as soon as I turned nine, we moved to another area. And, um, it was just, I think the subconscious stress is what got to me. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like the triggering mechanism because, you know, you're meeting all new people, um, new neighborhood, new everything. And I think um, that's what was the trigger to cause it. But I don't really know. That's just my, yeah. it my makes idiotic sense. theory. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes sense. I think intuitively, like people probably have an idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. You know your body better than, yeah. Uh, better than other people, especially being a type one. Yes, exactly. (laughs) What was, um, so when you started getting into law enforcement, what was it like for the training for being type one? Like, did you run into any challenges in that sense? Uh, Yeah, I actually, I got a job and I I was only there for a week, uh, Schumann Juvenile Detention Center. And I have no problem throwing them under the bus (laughs) because I was there for two days and one of them saw me check my blood sugar and they pulled me into, like, I was in training mode, and they pulled me into their nurse's office, and the boss was there, and the HR rep, and they're like, well, why didn't you tell us you were a type 1 diabetic, um, blah, 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 and I was like, well, HIPAA says I don't have to, and kind of was going back and forth, and as soon as, it, we were going back and forth, and then when I broke out the HIPAA thing, they were like, oh, crap, um, and then the next day, I came back, and they were like, yeah, we were thinking that, you know, every once in a blue moon, we get type one diabetic kids in here and you'd be a really big asset. And I was like, you know what? You can shove it. Like you're so full of crap. And I was like, I'm done Friday. And I actually, I ended up getting a job, um, the Thursday before I quit, um, for that high risk, uh, juvenile probation program. Wow. That's yeah. But otherwise, um, it was super cool. Mm Um, joining the warrant team, was definitely a, um, that was a challenge at first because you have to wake up at three 30 in the morning. Um, it's definitely off schedule. You don't know how many houses you're hitting. So on a given, you know, that morning, uh, we start serving warrants at four 30 in the morning and these are super dangerous arrest warrants. So Were your you heart's ever, already yeah. pumping. I was super scared. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask um, you like, <laughs> like the crazy thing is, uh, it's been scientifically proven that when a law enforcement officer, the average law enforcement officer straps their gun on in the morning, their heart rate goes up 10 beats a minute. And that's without being in a situation. All you're doing is putting your gun belt on. So when you're going into a situation where you're going to be serving warrants, where guns are getting raised at you and you know, there's drugs in the house and you're in the most dangerous area, your blood sugar is probably going to be spiked a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, I think my, I, my blood sugar was probably like always between 200 and 250. The first couple of times I went out until I figured out what I had to do. What, and what did you find? Like, cause we're using a pump then or. 
Uh, what was I using then? Because you've kind of used everything. Yeah, I was on a, I was on a pump. Um, I did not have a sensor though. No. Was, um, this, was this before the sensors were? Yeah, it was up? before they were worth having. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I, what I figured out eventually it was just um, the breakfast that I ate. I used to kind of like everybody else was carving up and getting ready for it. So like I would be like, oh, maybe that's what I'll do. Um, no, bad choice. Yeah. <laughs> so I would just, I really wouldn't eat hardly anything. I would have like three eggs and then, um, I'd be good just running off the adrenaline. And then we were usually done around one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would have my big meal, okay. but I would try to just limit any kind of insulin doses at all. So I would just eat protein, um, not give anything for it and then just rock out usually around like 150 mm-hmm. is where I like to stay when I was serving the warrants because I did not want to go low. No, yeah, I was gonna ask you, have you ever had a low in the middle of? A no. Situation? Okay, good. Thank God, you're <laughs> like super not, careful. No, thankfully, and yeah, now like day to day, um, uh, for home visits that I do, um, I've gone low like in the middle of a home home visit, um, and I'll just you know it's you can play it casual, be like, hey, excuse me, I got to run out to my car, and then I'll just sit in there for a couple of minutes and pretend I'm on the phone, but um. Otherwise, no, it's, it's pretty well controlled. Yeah, that's good. I guess it has to be. Yeah. So wait, are you in on injections right now? Cause you said, I am. what made you decide to switch? When I moved to, so I, I did injections and then I was on a pump and then I tried the Omnipod, but that's when it was like big and it was always failing. Um, I was always getting like, I'd walk through the door and hit it on the door frame and it would pop off and I was yeah. just like so sick of it. Um, and then I was on a pump when I first got my job with the feds, but when I moved to Florida, I was just so sweaty all the time and doing so many different dynamic activities that my pump sites would get irritated. Um, my sensors were always failing or falling off. And, um, eventually I was like, you know what? I just, I do too much. I'd rather just kind of be off the pump and especially doing Krav. Um, it's, I don't even wear a sensor because, um, if you get put in an arm bar and you have the sensor on your arm and somebody just goes like that, your sensor's gone yeah. and uh, those things aren't cheap. No. So I just, I just check like eight to 10 times a day and um, I do Tejeo at night. Okay. Um, it's, do you know, have you messed with Tejeo at all? I have. I tried it after I got here. It was like three months in and I was like, hmm, maybe I'll try Tejeo, but it didn't mm-hmm. work for me. Maybe I just didn't give it long enough. So, the, when I was on Lantis, I used to have to do a shot in the morning and a shot at night. And um, when Tejeo came out, they said it was just slower, I guess, digesting would be the word okay. for it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, but that, it seems to keep me stable, like perfect. So when I try a new um, diabetes technique or um, dose or something, what I'll do is I'll fast the whole day. Mm-hmm. I'll, um, I'll give my long-acting insulin and then just fast the whole next day. And, um, as long as my blood sugars are normal, then I know, okay, this is the long lasting dose I need to be on. And then I'll start eating again the next day or make the adjustment adjustments as necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that method. And I was actually thinking about trying that cause my pump broke after I arrived here. So I've been back on injections. That's, that's so awful. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was one thing after another. Cause it was like my pump broke and then my transmitter failed and then getting stuff shipped here isn't easy. <laughs> so, yeah. and then COVID. Yeah. And then every, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was nuts. 
Yeah, yeah. it was a like, stressful couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Have you but, have you taken any like extra precautions because of COVID or what? What do you think? Like, how are you doing with I'm, it all? Well, it's so isolating where I am. Like, mm. I don't even know what the population is, but I'm on the Nicoya Peninsula, so it's such a small town, and I don't even hear man-made noises at night or in the morning. Like, it's just so isolated. Yeah. But there is a small town and everyone has to wear masks. So when I do okay. go to the grocery store, I just wear a mask and make sure I wash my hands. Yeah. But so you're not like super worried about it or No, I I mean, I don't I'm not I haven't been put in the situation yet where a friend has wanted to hang out cuz I don't really know many people here. <laughs> Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah, so <laughs> I know I've just been hanging out with the family. <laughs> yeah, but um, so I don't know how I'll feel because I know everyone's like I'm. We've just been super careful, and we haven't really been going out that much to eat or anything. Even like we'll just yeah. kind of make food here. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it because I I feel like it's definitely a thing. My dad. Yeah thinks i mean i don't think he thinks it's a conspiracy but he definitely has an idea (laughs) that like there's some that we shouldn't be as worried as you know some people are and i don't want to be too scared because then i'm just gonna be not going anywhere you know like that would just be pointless and then it's almost like you almost will it upon yourself so if you're that scared it's like you're probably gonna get it exactly (laughs) i feel that way too yeah so it's like the fine line between just living your life and then being careful, yeah. but not. Yeah. Know. Well, when you come back, it's uh, California is a, like way different than Florida, so I don't know how it's gonna be there. Um, but that's that's pretty much what I do. Like I'm still going to Krav. I'm um, still doing my usual routine. Um, I'm just trying to use common sense, and I wear a mask in the stores and at work, and when I see people out in the field, you know. But yeah. Yeah, I'm not too too worried about it. That's good. When you guys are doing Krav, because that's, I heard a lot of jujitsu, I don't know about Florida, but in other places, jujitsu is like, they're, they have all these rules and regulations. Do you guys kind of have the same? Yeah, there's some interesting ones. So there's like, it's funny because uh, we're not allowed to spar. So (laughs) we put on gloves, headgear, shin guards, and we usually spar at least once a month, but uh, we're allowed to roll. Um, so we're allowed to basically be wrapped up with each other uh, in very, very, very close conditions, you know, practice and techniques, but we're not allowed to stand a couple feet away from each other to throw punches and kicks. That is um, interesting. It's stupid. So, but you guys don't have to wear masks while you're rolling around on the floor, do you? No, <laughs> okay. no, no, definitely huh. not. I, I think, I don't know what the, the requirements are for some of the jujitsu gyms in other states, but I would think they're shut down. Either that or I know California, like it's huge in MMA. So I know a lot of the pros have pretty much just be like, listen, the gym is shut down to any outsiders. Like it's just these people here and that's what we're doing. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I heard, I forget where I heard it in Boston. I think they're doing like two people at a time or something and doing temperature checks, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's even really works to do Um, temperatures. yeah I don't know I really don't I don't know yeah I just do what I'm told yeah yeah (laughs) do what I can and do what I'm told yeah just wash your hands lots 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. Has anyone? <laughs> Which you should you should do anyway. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> has anyone? Has anyone that you work with have they gotten COVID or has everyone stayed pretty healthy? Everyone in my district has stayed healthy. Uh, I actually had to quarantine for two weeks. I had a secondary exposure to it. Mm. Um, nothing happened. Um, I just didn't want to put anybody at risk just in case. So um, I know a couple other officers have had to quarantine as well, but none of them have tested positive or anything. So okay. that's really good. Was it like a house or not a house call, but like a something that you had to go to that no, exposed it was, you? it was actually with my, uh, my landlord. Oh, um, shit. Her daughter, yeah, I know, right? So her, uh, this was, we were in the middle. So here's the crazy thing. We were living in another house. Um, the COVID thing happens and we had people lined up to help us move. And, um, that week our landlady who we had met with the night before found out her daughter tested positive for COVID. And she was like at her house, gave her a hug, all kinds of stuff. And I was like, Oh, so you might have it. Um, so my wife, she's five foot three, 110 pounds. Uh, we had all these friends lined up. We had to move everything ourselves oh in our God. in our little horse trailer. So like we couldn't even go rent a moving van because we didn't want to possibly expose anybody. So we just made a bunch of trips back and forth to the farm, but we got it done, man. And she she went in beast mode and yeah, helped me lift stuff out of the house. But yeah, it was That's it sucked. It, it was that was not fun. No, how how many but, months ago was that? <laughs> that was in April when okay. I had a quarantine. So yeah. So yeah, it's been a bit, that's, that's mm -hmm. nuts. I wonder like, what do you, how, when do you think this thing's going to be back to normal? <laughs> like, oh, well, and I, I don't know if uh, the word normal is so subjective. Yeah. So, um, people keep saying, oh, when are, we wanted to go back to normal, but it might not, there might be a new normal. Um, I think there's definitely going to be a lot of good things that come out of it. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that, uh, families are connected more. Um, I'm hoping that, jobs are realizing like, Hey, there's a lot of work that can just be done at home and yeah. people can spend time with their kids and people won't have to pay as much for childcare. And, um, maybe people will be cooking more and mm -hmm. like actually eating real food. Um, yeah. <laughs> I feel terrible for the restaurants. Don't get me wrong, but, yeah. um, you know, hopefully people are looking at this and thinking some good things will come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I'm sure for a lot of people mm -hmm. it will hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Do yeah. you, do you like watch what you eat with your work? Do you try to a pretty pretty strict diet? Um, I'm just coming off that vacation like I told oh, you yeah. about. How was so that? where did you I guys go? It was it was awesome. We went to Myrtle Beach. Um, met with her family there. They've been going pretty much her whole life, and um, so now I just go with them as well. And it's super laid back, but I ate and drank my fill. Yeah. And <laughs> I think my blood sugar is still recovering. Yeah. From it all. So, um, I say every year, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to behave myself. No, I end up going yeah. a little bit crazy, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a great time. Is that in Florida? So, no, Myrtle beach, South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. But as far as, um, my usual diet, uh, my wife and I cut out gluten about two years ago. Um, that's done a lot, but I'm pretty strict with what I eat. I try to do just, um, protein and oats in the morning, mm -hmm. uh, like a half cup of oats, three eggs, uh, Greek yogurt with some blueberries, uh, protein shake, um, at like 10 o'clock 
lunch is usually the leftovers from what I cooked the night before. So usually chicken and rice, uh, some kind of protein, some kind of starch, just like that. But it's a healthy starch. Yeah. And then dinner is same kind of deal. Yeah. So yeah, we we keep it pretty strict. Yeah, that's good. That's kind of. I mean, I feel like I'm. I feel like probably. Well, maybe I can't speak for everyone, but I'm like every person who has type one. It's like you're just so much more focused on the things that you're fueling your body with for the majority, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to be. And um, I know there's some of my friends that are type ones that. You know, they think just because they have a pump or something like that, they can really eat whatever they want. And um, the biggest problem I see is when people gorge themselves on anything. Mm -hmm. Like, say you have too much steak, your blood sugar is going to be 300 in a couple hours, bro. Um, Say you have, like, rather than having two pieces of pizza, you have eight. Like, yeah, it's going to be a disaster. You're not going to be able to figure this one out. Like, don't (laughs) don't gorge on anything, no matter what it is, unless it's, like, lettuce yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, which yeah. who wants to gorge on lettuce that would no. suck yeah but uh yeah that's it food is pretty much food and dieting is definitely the biggest part i feel like to managing your blood sugars blood sugars successfully yeah um i want oh there's something i wanted to get into speaking yeah. of that because um i've always been in pretty decent shape um but when i had to get the federal job, I had to go through extensive testing. And I knew a couple other people that got hired the same time as me, and I love them to death. But overweight, out of shape, um, definitely not doing what they're supposed to do with their lives, but they didn't have diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did the medical check. Um, and this is, you know, we all find out we get hired. Um, we're all happy. Uh, we get the medical check. And I pass with flying colors other than they're like, you're going to have to do some additional testing because of your diabetes, but we, we think you'll be okay. Um, the other people didn't have to do any additional testing at all. Um, and they got a start date. Um, I was like, okay, well, I'll wait to see what I have to do. So just to get the job with the feds in a law enforcement position, I had to log every single blood sugar for 30 days and then turn in the meter that I checked my blood sugar with to give to a doctor in Georgia that I've never met before to, to tell, um, to tell them if I'm healthy or not. I had to do an eye exam. I had to do an EKG treadmill test. Um, I was so mad that they made me do it because, like, I'm in shape. Like, I don't need to do this. Yeah. Um, I went there, and the doc was like, okay, we have to get your heart rate up to a certain rate. And I was like, let's fucking go. So I'm on this treadmill, and he's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, good, and I'm in dress shoes <laughs> running yeah. on this thing. And um, eventually the treadmill just shuts down, and he's like, that's interesting. I was like, what? He's like, well, we couldn't get your heart rate up fast enough. And that was as fast as the treadmill goes and it just stopped. So I'd say your heart's in pretty good condition. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so there was that. And then, uh, they wanted me to do a neurological exam because I had had a, a couple seizures when I was younger and not really taking care of myself. But my uh, endocrinologist stepped up and was like, no, he doesn't need a neurological exam. They were hypoglycemic related seizures. So he's good. And, um, then I had to do like the, the vibration test um, with all my appendages to make sure I could feel everything with a doctor I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot of extra testing. And I was paying for all this out of pocket. And I, I ended up starting like five months after everybody else. That's insane. And I could have run, I could have ran circles around some of these people. That's so crazy. Yeah, it was super annoying. But um, 
it's just really cool to be able to say like, yeah, I made it and I take such good care of myself and anybody can do it too. Um, but if you want to get to this kind of position in law enforcement, like you, you really have to be on, on your shit. So what would, what would you like tell someone who's like, yeah, like that's my goal. Like they really want to, but maybe they feel like they're limited in some way or like how, how would someone prepare for that? Right. Like if you had to go back and do it again to, uh, to get a job in law enforcement, if somebody wanted to a high level, like you are and Mm -hmm. you know, like, is there anything that they can think of now that like would help prep them for that exam (laughs) that they're doing? I, I would say just to do like a mock trial where they, I'm hopefully they're logging their sugars anyways. Um, but I would do like a mock 30 day trial to, and then actually look at it and be like, okay, am I all over the place? If a doctor looked at my blood sugars and what was, would they, would they want to hire me? Yeah. Um, you're going to have to look hireable and yeah. there's going to be times where, you know, you have to turn that meter in. So they're going to see some lows. They're going to see some highs. It just kind of is what it is, but you have to be super strict especially for that 30 days when you're doing it with your diet and your exercise and your perfect routine. I basically ate the same things for 30 days and did the same thing every day just to make sure I was good. What did you eat? (laughs) Oh man. Do you remember? Uh, It was just like bland. I I did a lot of chicken salads. Okay. Um, I remember like no dressing, a lot of chicken salads. And that was just for the 30 days because like I didn't want them to see anything weird on there. I was super paranoid. I'm like, I don't know what their threshold is for what's healthy and what's not as a type one, because most people don't really know. So I was like, I got to try to do this as best as I can. So there's only, I know a couple diabetics in the system, but they got it actually after they had the job, which is rare. They got it as adults, but there was only one other one that I met at the federal Academy, um, for firearm instructor training. And I saw him with a pump and I was like, bro, we got super excited because we didn't know like another one of us existed in the federal system. So we were talking about like all the extra testing we had to do and he had to do all the same stuff. So that isn't that crazy when you see someone in the work environment or just even at the gym and you're and they have type one. It's like you're meeting like an old friend. (laughs) So exciting. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) you definitely you don't even have to know each other. Like I saw a girl at uh, Myrtle Beach and she had an Omnipod on and I was like, what's up, Omnipod? Yeah, she got all excited. It's so fun. (laughs) My wife's like, you're so weird. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was the when I was in California, it was like one of the last times I went to the gym. I don't even know if my gym will be standing when I go back but there was this guy that came up to me and he's like hey is that a Dexcom on your arm and then it just like blossomed into this conversation that was Mm -hmm. so fun (laughs) yeah it's always so great um to see type ones did you ever do like a um a diabetes camp as a kid or anything yes I did it was um on the sunshine coast in British Columbia when I I think I was like 11 or 12 and how was that for you I honestly I didn't really enjoy it I think because they had such a structure of like, all right, this is what you're going to do in the morning. This is what you're going to eat. And then you're going to go kayaking and then you're going to eat this. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to, like, I just want to do my own thing. <laughs> Little Miss Homeschool wasn't having it. No. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I, I did it for the experience because I did meet yeah. a lot of other people with type one when I didn't really know anyone. So. Yeah. I went for years. Um, did you? I went there. Yeah, year after year after year, I loved it because it was just so nice to be around other people that actually get it. Yeah, so, yeah. Are you yeah, still? Yeah, that, that was super helpful for me. 
Yeah. Are you still in contact with people from camp? I am. I'm actually going on a, um, I, I do a lot of, uh, biking, um, cycling and, uh, I'm meeting with, uh, guy that I was a camp counselor with. He's a type one. Uh, we're meeting up in Asheville, North Carolina to do some biking next so weekend. Cool. So that's awesome. Yeah. Still keep in touch with some people. Yeah. That's so cool. So you, cause you have mm-hmm. a really active lifestyle, right? Like you're I biking do. all the time, you're training. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've lifted since I was 17 and that's just something that's like a part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to hit the gym or and if I don't, I turn into a, like a monster. You don't want to be around me. So like, that's my, that's my number one go-to. Um, running is huge for me. Um, I ran my first marathon, uh, last December, um, training, training for that was a beast with diabetes. Um, but there's some diet type ones out there running ultras now. Um, those are like 50, hundred mile races. Um, yeah, so I was, it was cool. I was actually able to reach out to one of them. Uh, Ross Baker is his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're friends on Instagram, and we talk all the time, like just different running stuff. But uh, I digress. Um, but, yeah, I, I do a ton, a ton of running, ton of cycling, lots of lifting, Krav. Um, I started swimming because I've been dealing with uh, plantar fasciitis a little bit, so mm-hmm. my running is down. Yeah. So I was like, well, I might as well swim, and I'm horrible at it. <laughs> it's, it's so bad but um yeah I just I try to do everything I can to stay as active as possible yeah that's awesome have you found that like because all of those things are so different right in terms of your blood sugar management so did it take you a while to like figure out what your blood sugar was going to do for swimming versus like running versus yeah weightlifting? for sure uh running in particular um when I was training for my marathon, I was able to figure out how to fuel properly because you have to eat during the marathon or have those uh, gel packets for energy. So the whole time I was training, usually around like mile eight, my blood sugars would start to drop. So I'd eat banana or do, do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I was expecting for the marathon. Uh, but marathon day was there. I showed up and I guess my adrenaline was pumping more than expected. So uh, by the half 13.1, my blood sugar was still 220. And um, I was like, well, I can't eat anything. So looks like I'm running the rest of the race on no fuel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so like mile 19, I crashed pretty hard. Um, but yeah, sucked it up and finished it. And the only thing I had the whole time was just one goo packet. Wow. Um, and that was like my blood sugar got to 114 at mile 19 where I was starting to crash. And I was like, give me that goo packet. It kicked in after like another mile and I was good to go. Wow. That's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> like congrats. Yeah. On that. It was, it was fun for sure. Yeah. It was, I felt pretty happy for people who, who are into running and stuff. Like what, what do you say for like, what's a tip that you'd give them? Cause I have a lot, I know a lot of, I don't personally know, but I've heard of so many people that are into running and they're always asking me, but I don't run, you know? Okay. So, so it depends on your style. If you're just trying to run, say you just want to run a mile and you want to run it as fast as you can, um, that's going to be a lot like weightlifting, actually, because you're running as fast as you can. You're kicking in that flight or fight response um, by going as fast as you can, and there's most likely going to be some adrenaline involved. So it might spike your blood sugar up. Um but say you just want to go out and run like a casual three miles, uh, I'll, I'll always check beforehand. Um, I, if I'm 
at a normal level, I'll usually eat a granola bar or something and try to raise it up because if I'm just running, say like a nine minute mile pace, which isn't super fast, it's um, probably not going to kick up my adrenaline. Like my blood sugars will drop pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll actually run with my meter in my pocket and um, <laughs> stop at like mile six and check it real quick and then uh, go from there. Cause like I said, the sensors, they just don't, they don't work out for my yeah. lifestyle. But can, um, can you feel your blood sugar dropping in the middle oh, of the yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I, but like in a marathon setting, um, you don't know what's happening to your body because you're just so miserable <laughs> by like mile 14. God. So I was checking it like once every three miles just to make sure um, I was good because you're just, your body's so confused at that point. So you just have to do a little bit of extra work if you want to go those extra miles. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Cycling, it almost always drops my blood sugar. It never raises it. So I'm just about every hour I'm eating either an apple or banana or granola bar. And then if I go another hour eating more food um, and try to keep my blood sugar around like 130. Yeah. So you bring like a bunch of stuff with you. I have this big ass bag <laughs> on my bike. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody has this like nice lean bike and they have their little bottle of water. I have like two bottles of water, this big ass bag, my backpack on. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. What do you carry your st- like uh, meters and stuff in when you're working? Um, so I can actually show you what I have on now. They're like tactical pants. Okay. Um, cargo pants. Yeah. I don't know if you can see them. <laughs> yeah, I can see them. But so, I keep I keep my meter in my left cargo pocket. Yeah. Uh, I have two phones on my personal one, my uh, work phone, and the other one, and my uh, credentials in my back pocket. Um, I have the rely on glucose shots mm-hmm. in my uh, upper pocket. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes I'll keep like a tube of glucose tablets in the pocket where a um, clip for or. A magazine or a clip for like an assault rifle or a pistol would go. Yeah. I usually yeah. put glucose tablets in there. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm all I'm like a tactical diabetic for sure. Yeah, yeah, you need those pockets. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then um, when I'm out and about, I definitely rock a fanny pack. I have yeah. no shame. Yeah. yeah. Do you think? Okay, I've been hearing this from so many different people where they're like, "Man, with everything happening in the world, like." who's going to want to join the law enforcement at this point? And I keep hearing that. (laughs) Have you heard Um, that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, There's, again, there's, there's a lot of hate being thrown around, but um, I think special people rise up to meet those challenges. And a friend reached out to me that was interested in joining law enforcement and, um, just simply because this is all happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, too, because there's so these different divides, um, what I'm hoping is these, the far right uh, or whatever you want to call them, I hope they aren't the ones trying to join yeah. because I don't want them to join. I don't want the people that put on the badge and think they're tough or show up to these um, rallies or uh, protests, you know, the guys that show up with, like, the – AKs or they're just open carrying like I don't want those douchebags joining law enforcement I want people with good heads on their shoulders that are willing to put in the extra hours training and are passionate about helping people um 
yes, protecting the community is the number one priority in anything in law enforcement, but you have to actually care about the people that you're serving. Um, so my, again, my number one priority is the community, but my heart is with the people that I serve. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a police officer and you don't know the people in the community, um, so for example, you know, me, white officer, if I'd be working in a primary black community, but I don't spend any time learning about African-American culture, what am I doing? Um, there's situations where, um, you know, people might be yelling at each other on the street and where I grew up, that's like, oh my gosh, something's about to go down. But in another culture, it's, they're just having a good time. So, um, yeah, I, I really think the right people will rise up yeah. and, and meet the challenge. And that's the hope. Uh, but agencies too, they have to, um, they have to vet people a lot more and mm-hmm. with social media, that'll, that'll vet people pretty quickly because they'll be able to comb through some of that a little bit more now. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope things change for the best though. I hope for so sure. too. Yeah. It's crazy. This is so <laughs> weird, but they're here, uh, in Costa Rica, they have these army ants. So it's like these ants that will cover the walls and they're only like, okay. <laughs> they'll, they'll come like at random times and then they'll cover the wall. They're like cleaning and mm. then, but they're like all over the place and then they'll eventually like find order. And then it's like one line of army ants, but it like takes yeah. them a bit to like get used to like whatever they're doing or, you know, it's just, it's crazy, but it's like, there's mm. always order after chaos kind of thing is what I think yeah. about it. But I it's like just, that. <laughs> that's the what army it ant analogy. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. but did you have to like when you were training and everything did you have to take it upon yourself to like learn about the because you were working with the the crips and the bloods right and so did you have to take it upon yourself to know that culture or were were there people that like i had mentors um so for the first three years where i was in that area was with the salvation army Mm -hmm. um I, I genuinely loved the kids that I was working with and got to know them um, at a, to a certain degree. But then when I started for the pro, the CIS program, uh, it was called the Community Intensive Supervision Program. Um, I was the only white guy that, um, me and one other person, we were the only two white people, um, and the rest were African-American workers. So, um, and most of them had grown up like in the hood, like they knew how to talk to these kids. And I just, some of them are my best friends to this day, but um, I just watched them and really imitated exactly what they did and hung out with them after work and um, immersed myself in their culture Mm -hmm. um, rather than trying to bring anything that I had, because what did, what did I have, you know, growing up in white suburbia, all I, all I had was a, a passion and a care and a love to, and a desire to change, help promote yeah. this change. Um, but without, you know, I'll, I'll just say the names, Dante Green, Devon Hawkins, Omar Grissom, uh, Josh Smith, some of those guys, um, there's, there's no way I'd be where I'm at now. And, uh, so just culturally aware and able to meet so many different cultures where they're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important. So people probably just having that mentorship would be beneficial. I mean, I guess everyone needs yeah. that no matter what career you're going into. 
Yeah, and they were definitely unofficial mentors. Like we were, we all got hired together at the same time because this was a brand new center in the north, in the most dangerous area in the city. And um, so yeah, it was like unofficial mentors, getting to know people, and just stepping out of my comfort zone even more to become a better person. Yeah, that's so important. Mm-hmm. Now look at where you are now. <laughs> I know, right? I. I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss that. Um, That was probably my favorite job just because of the guys that I got to work with. But I would not be where I am today without that position for sure. Do you, when you look back, is there anything that you would have done differently or like just stepping into? Because you're, I feel like the way your career unfolded was just so unplanned. But like, do you feel like now (laughs) looking back because you wanted to be a Marine for so long, do you feel like everything kind of happened for you? I do. I yeah. think I, um, like I said, I've always been so positive. I think that the, I've all, and I've always believed that there's a bigger plan out there and that the puzzle pieces are there. You just have to find them and assemble the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of what happened. I think maybe there are some people out there guiding me a little bit more than what other people get, but um, I try to, invite that energy um so i can allow things like that to happen in my life as far as changing anything no i don't Mm -mm. i don't think i would um there was one specific incident the main thing i wanted to talk to you about um where i kind of had a shift in thinking with my diabetes and i wish i would have realized the shift sooner um it was my freshman year of college and I still wasn't really taking great care of myself. Um, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great by any means. Um, and I was just playing a pickup basketball game and, uh, I had to take a break cause my blood sugar went low and then I had to take another break cause my blood sugar went low and then I had to take another break cause it went low. And this was all in a span of an hour. And I just remember, uh, I won't say her name, but she looked at me and she's like, uh, you sh- really shouldn't be playing sports or anything. You're sick. And I just remember thinking, like, who the fuck do you think you are, like, to tell me that? But to a degree, she was kind of right. Um, like, I had been told my whole life, well, you can do anything because diabetics, you know, you're not being held back and you can do everything else that everybody else does. But I wasn't allowing myself to. I was like using my diabetes as this excuse to where, yeah, I'm entitled to believe that I think I can do whatever I want. But am I physically capable of doing everything I want? Play a basketball game for an hour um, because I wasn't taking care of myself. So I had this like almost a victim mentality with it to where, oh, well, society should bend around me and my needs rather than me rising up and being like, you know what? I have to be better than the average person because of this diabetes. And that's when I really started viewing diabetes as this awesome thing Mm -hmm. that gave me so much control. And it's like, yes, I'm going to work my ass off to do better than you and I have diabetes. Um, So it just, it kind of just gave me that, that drive. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but um, I've just, I've always, from that point on, I always felt like I was a leader wherever I was, uh, constantly exceeding expectations. Um, finished top of my class at the uh, Federal Academy, uh, got the Officer Safety Award, which is the 
only award that the instructors actually pick um, pretty much who the best officer was when it all comes to tactics and safety um, and classroom stuff. So, yeah, I just I feel like because of diabetes, I'm enabled to be a better person. That's so awesome. And that's so powerful, too, because I feel like so many people in that position would it's like it's hard to like rise above the negative right like when someone Mm -hmm. says something like that and then and then it's such an interesting perspective to look at it because like I feel like in my life people would always say like you can't do this because you have diabetes so it was Mm -hmm. always that motivating force of like no I'm gonna prove them that I can but yours is like the same but different right (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's so yeah without it I wonder what I'd be um I don't think I'd be the man I am today that's for sure I'd I might be just another dude stuck on my Facebook feed, sitting at home with a belly, drinking <laughs> beer. You know, I, I yeah. really don't know. Um, but I'm, I wouldn't take back, you know, not having it. It'd be great not to have it. Yeah. Um, but the life that I have now, I wouldn't give up diabetes to see what it would be like without it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Do you feel like diabetes has kind of been like not empowered but helped you with your career in a way like just being the best um at your job that you can do has it kind of been yeah I think so and with anything uh it's it's like you have a chip on your shoulder um and that's just how I view it like when I'm at Krav like I want to be the best one there so like let's figure out how I can do that uh, if I'm lifting with somebody, it's like, okay, how can I lift more weight than this guy? Or how can I do more, <laughs> more reps? And, um, you know, I just, I just, I, I don't know if that's, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what gave me the drive to want to be, um, the best. And I'm not trying to say that in like a asshole way yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I still have a lot of growth and a lot of development and a lot of things I needed to do personally before I can actually be the leader that I want to be. But, um, yeah, definitely. It gives me that like driving force. Like, yeah, I, I want to do this. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What and about I, you? I feel like it. It definitely has. Um, it's made me more aware of my my body, and it's made me more patient. Like, it's taught me a lot of skills that I don't think I would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think if I if I was never diagnosed, I probably wouldn't be as mindful with like the things that I'm eating and exercise and just, you know, like all of those things that, and I was Mm -hmm. thinking about the other day, how it's like your sleep, your exercise, your, what you're eating, like everything that we should all be paying attention to. It's like, Mm -hmm. it affects us on such a deeper level that without being aware of like all these things. And some people will be like, how can you like, you're always like doing like thinking of things. And I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. but we it affects everyone right yeah 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 and that you have to have your diabetes under that much more control because if you want to have a good night's sleep Mm -hmm. you have to have good blood sugars because if you go low you're going to wake up and then you have to treat it uh if your blood sugar is high guarantee you're going to be running to the bathroom at some point in the night (laughs) so it's like if that that starts right there like if your diet if your blood sugars aren't good at night you're screwing up yourself for the next day because you're not sleeping well um and i'd I'd like to say my nights are always perfect but they definitely aren't but i strive to you know 
have those as much as I can. Yeah. And that's all we can do, really. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, too, it, it gives you a lot of discipline, especially yeah. if you're a good, quote unquote, good diabetic. Um, so if, say you want to do like a 30 day body cleanse, um, or something that like a normal person <laughs> that I did that in quotes for people that yeah. aren't watching this, yeah. but, uh, like a normal person would be like, I want to do like no caffeine for 30 days. Um, I feel like for me, it's like, oh, okay. Um, like what's next? Like no problem. I, I've been watching my food since I was nine. So yeah you want to take something away for 30 days, cool, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Where other people are like hitting their heads against the wall on day three, like, I hate my life. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, it it does give you a lot more self-awareness. Did yeah. did I see on your social that you tried the carnivore diet? <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> how, how was that? Because I wanted that to was, ask you about that. That was an epic fail. Was epic, it? Epic. <laughs> Yeah, I, oh my goodness. So I think I lasted five days okay. and those five days I did not go to the bathroom. Oh my God. I've uh, heard that that happens. Well, I listen to Joe Rogan podcast yeah. all the time and he's like talking this thing up and I was like, I'm going to fucking do it. Like this is, yeah, let's do this. Um, and he said that like he was going to the bathroom like crazy for two weeks and then it just like leveled <laughs> out. And by day five, I'm like super bloated. I felt awful. I was like, this cannot be good. Like I need to eat some vegetables or something. So I did. And it was glorious. But (laughs) so those five days. So I wonder how people do it. Do their bodies just get used to it? I think that it depends on who you are Mm -hmm. as a person and like where what your ancestors ate. Because I know there's still people um, like certain uh, sex of people that live uh, I don't know what's the politically correct term for Eskimo. I'm know. not really sure. But all they eat is seal. Um, they don't have vegetables up there. They don't have any of that. So that's all they eat. So maybe if your ancestors were primarily meat eaters, then your body would be able to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. Um, not me, apparently. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and um, how are your I blood sugars? Probably not very good. Were your blood sugars? Yeah, my blood sugar was great. Were they? Uh, yeah, because it's it's always easier for me at least to figure out blood sugars mm-hmm. uh, when you take carbs out of the yeah. situation. So it was pretty simple. Um, I didn't notice too much of a change there. Probably less insulin for yeah. sure. But yeah, but I wouldn't again. recommend. It. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if you want to use the bathroom ever again, don't yeah. do carbs. <laughs> and feel like if you want to feel like shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and by not feel like shit by not shitting. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so what's next? What's coming up for you? Like in the next little while, what's next? I know we should probably wrap it up, but I want to make sure that we covered everything and I that we've been talking for over an hour. Already. I know, it goes by so fast. I'm like, I know I know you're yeah. busy. Um That's good. Um, what is next? I'm I'm really focused on Krav a lot. Yeah. Uh the main goal is to get my black belt. Um I'm about halfway through now. I'm a green belt, second degree, because um, I just enjoy it really much. And I've always wanted to have a black belt in something. That's awesome. Um, and Krav is super convenient. It's close to my house. So um, I'm. that's the one thing. Uh, professionally, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, I. So the great thing about Ocala is it's small, um, and it's super laid back. Cost of living is cheap, but... 
the downside is also that it's small. So I'm in a very small office. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of room for, there's not a lot of positions available if you want to kind of work your way up the, the chain and the federal system. So I definitely have aspirations of doing that. Um, so I might be moving sometime. Uh, not, I don't want to say the near future, but yeah. it's, it's probably going to happen at some point. I'm going to have to move if I want to keep growing in would, this career. Would you have to move to a city to have? Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, either Orlando or Tampa. If I wanted to stay in the middle district of Florida, um, I would have to move to a bigger city in like either Jacksonville, Orlando or Tampa. Yeah. Which, um, it has its pros and cons just like anything else. Yeah. Um, but long term, my wife and I would we'd really like to have our own business someday. And uh, she has her own business now. She's a mobile dog groomer. She comes from a family of business owners, That's awesome. and uh, she definitely inspires me on a daily basis because she just she's got way bigger balls than I do <laughs> to to be able to go out and do something like that. But um, I'd really like to. Have you ever done a float tank? No, but I've heard Joe Rogan talks about it. So I've I've thought about trying it and my boyfriend I think tried it a long time ago you need to do it okay it was it was like a groundbreaking experience for me so what's it it didn't make you feel like claustrophobic or I'm not a very claustrophobic person to begin with but um my wife is Mm -hmm. it took her we it was like an hour-long session it took her like 15 minutes she said to get like comfortable where me I got in that thing. I was comfortable from the get, and the the water's room temperature, so like, okay. or your your body temperature. Yeah. And um, you just you float. You can't hear anything. You can't see anything. Your brain does some funny things. <laughs> um, I loved it so much. Like I haven't done it again since, but I could definitely see myself doing like some kind of wellness center where I'm either uh, like I have float tanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might be able to teach like self defense to uh, the general population like civilians and law enforcement because i really have a passion for it um my wife's into like super into crystals and like the hippie dippy stuff yeah like this (laughs) why about buddha and ganesh and all your little yeah (laughs) all your little things over there but um i i think i she'd be really good at like selling that stuff and um i don't know i'd like to spend more time with her so I don't know. It's either law enforcement for a couple more years and keep working my way up because I love that or like trying to do my own thing with her. And I'm, you know, all over the place. But either way, goal driven. I yeah. want to achieve something else. But That's exciting. What about, what about you? I, so I've been, now that I've been in Costa Rica for as long as I have been, I really, I'm starting to realize I'm just kind of done with the city. Like California was exciting when I was 24 and I moved there, but now I'm like, at some point I want to have a family and I would love to homeschool my kids and -hmm. just kind of live somewhere where I can teach them like real life skills. So somewhere in nature. (laughs) So So they're grounded. Yeah. So it's kind of, and then I don't know if I would do like stay in, in an environment like that forever. You know, I'd probably want to move somewhere because I grew up in a really small town so I don't know if that's ideal for people when they're teenagers <laughs> yeah so I don't yeah. know I think I'll just see like how how things unfold but my boy like I'm gonna be going back to California and then my boyfriend does he works in um like audio he's an audio engineer okay. so he's and he's thinking about and possibly 
letting go of his job. He's been doing that for years. So he mm-hmm. could kind of do that on his own too. Mm-hmm. But we're thinking about maybe just working together. So kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, what you and your wife are maybe yeah. in the future. And kind of just because I would love to, you know, obviously be able to have a business where I can be making money and then be raising kids at home. <laughs> So I don't know. We'll just see what happens. We'll probably leave LA. I think like once I get back there, I feel like me going back is going to be to tie up loose ends and just, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. Like I have (sighs) these ideas, but then I'm like, however things unfold, I'm just gonna, it's like one of those things of like letting go of my attachment to like what I want. And then just kind of being like, all right, like this is my goal, but what, like, however it unfolds, I'm just going to be okay with it. <laughs> yeah, man, I could, I could imagine going back to LA after spending so much time in oh. Costa Rica and just feeling kind of like gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's <laughs> like the like air quality. The yeah. What's that? The air quality in Los Angeles and with yeah. the fires too. It's, I'm leaving this like peaceful place in the mm. jungle, but yeah. it's, I can't, I can't stay here forever in like my apartments in LA and you know. Yeah. Yeah, so. to go back. And my boyfriend's point. there. Yeah. Have has he come to visit you so, at all or is that No, so we came on a on a vacation together in February and the whole plan That's was right. he was going to like I was going to stay a couple weeks longer than him to hang out with my mom. Okay. That's so, what I thought originally yeah. that you were just there on vacation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so then he left and then the borders were start like things were starting to happen. It was in March, like things were like February was fine, no worries. But then March, like airlines were starting to shut down, and we were like, okay, do you get do you just fly home right now? And then my flight was March 29th, and we're both like, it's probably gonna be fine. Like just keep your original <laughs> flight. And then the border shut down, so they weren't <laughs> letting any U.S. citizens in. And then my flight kept getting canceled. So yeah. Yeah, it's just how it happened. <laughs> That's so wild. I know. At least you got to spend so much time there. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's been really awesome. Yeah. yeah. So definitely I will remember this time for a long time, forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Well, well do you have any other questions for I me or anything? Is there anything that, you, that I didn't ask you that you feel like would be... Not in particular. Yeah. I think we covered a lot of stuff yeah. for sure. I and probably I think, went off down some rabbit holes. Yeah, probably. But, <laughs> but I, overall, like you just, you're so inspiring. I think that when people listen, when they tune in, it's going to be really inspiring just to, just to hear your story and like what you were doing and where you are now and just all of the yeah. things in between. So I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to connect. Yeah, for so, sure. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. And um, for anybody that does want to try to reach out to me, I definitely invite that. Um, my so I only have Instagram for social media, um, and I just got off Facebook like a month ago. Best thing I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, my account's private because of what I do. Um, but uh, you can, I think you're you'll attach the. Mm-hmm. I'll link, link to or whatever. It. Yeah. They can definitely send me, anybody can send me a private message, ask me any questions, um, be friends after that. As long as I know you're not someone trying to, you know, figure out where I live and kill me. Yeah. Of what I do for a <laughs> but, uh, you, yeah. If I, what's that? Do you get death threats by people? Uh, it's happened. I've only gotten one and that was actually when I was doing juvenile probation. Mm-hmm. 
um, it wasn't super serious, but there has definitely been some very dangerous because I work at the federal level now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much like the top of the top, usually most dangerous. There's been some officers that have been they, they're authorized to carry their duty firearm 24 hours a day, like even if they go to the grocery store because they've gotten death threats and um, U.S. Marshals escorting them everywhere they go for a certain period of time. Because um, you figure, you know, we we worked with some guys that, you know, were put in jail in the 80s in mm-hmm. the Italian mob and are just now getting out. And it's some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I've sat down with guys where, like, they seem totally normal. And um, I'm like, so... Uh, I see your offense was this. Do you have any other violent offenses or anything? And they're like, oh, yeah, I killed one of my witnesses. And you're sitting there in the same room, and you're like, <laughs> you're trying to keep a normal face, and you're like, oh. You're like, shit. <laughs> I, I got you. That's so crazy. Yeah. That's, I bet, how, well, how do you stay so grounded when it, like, because that, I mean, that would freak me out, but I can't watch scary movies, so. <laughs> oh, but, like, can, how do you stay yeah. so grounded and, I've always been the type of person that kind of rushes towards things like that. Um, like if I'm somewhere high, like a building, it's definitely not suicidal, but like I want to jump off of it. Like I want to do like these, I guess it's an adrenaline thing. Yeah. Um, I don't definitely, I don't know if that relates completely to this job, but like I think working in the circumstances that I've had for such a long time, uh, you're definitely desensitized to things like that. And, um, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of humor with coworkers that goes into it. And it's just kind of like, oh, it's a normal thing now. Yeah. 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 Well, but I good. guess that's how I deal with it. You just, a lot of experience. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of experience, a lot of training. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, if you and your wife, I mean, I probably, I don't know if I'll be in LA, but even if I'm, even if we're in Costa Rica, like we, and you and your wife want to come on a holiday wherever we are. I Definitely. Think it'd be nice we, to connect. Or if we come to Florida, I'll let you know. Yeah, come to Florida. Yeah, I've never been there, but the beaches look beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a pretty crazy state. I don't know. I was joking. Don't really okay, don't, okay. Move, don't move to, come to Florida, don't move to Florida. Yeah, come to visit. <laughs> it's too crazy. But uh yeah, I hope you figure everything out. But yeah. it, was, it was really good talking to you. Yeah, you too. And um thank you so much for your time. <laughs> sure thing. Okay, take care. Uh, bye. bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And if you want to connect with Wes, you can find him on Instagram, Wesley Evans, his Instagram handle or whatever you call it. I'm pretty sure it's called a handle is hybridaf.wesley. And I will also link to his information in the show notes. I love you. And I will talk to you same time next week. Bye for now.